Hello and welcome to episode 162 of the NCP. Hooray. My name is David. <laughs> Alright, that's a little right hand back there. <laughs> My name is David with the NCP crew. Richard. My name is not David. Wait a second. Yes, it is. <laughs> Look. You know, you're kind of sounding a bit, you know, very Terminator esque there. Really? Well, for some strange reason, I'm speaking with a French accent. I know, what? <laughs> An a French Terminator French accent. Kills you with a baguette. I'll be back. <laughs> Wrong. And Crystal. Pause or effect. Hello. Oh, that was brilliant. Uh, just to just to clarify, we are we are referencing a, a little video bit of uh, the last leg. Uh, yeah, from the last leg. Yeah, of a news reader who <laughs> actually who did a, who did an anchor man and actually read out what was on the, the screen. On the, 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 the stage directions. Uh, Pause please. for effect. Pause for effect. <laughs> I want to do a new podcast called Pause for Effect. Uh, for this episode, we have two dust jackets and our top five fictional weapons. Our top five weapons of choice. Yes, it was, <laughs> it was meant to be the top five that was going to be on the episode with... Uh, the two weapons Yeah, books. the two weapons books. The two weapon related books. We- it became one weapons book. <laughs> I didn't actually explain on that episode why I thought that was so uh, so hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> so, yeah, so, but, uh, you know, schedules change. So we're going to do it for this episode. But uh, the two dust jackets, as is our want. <laughs> I love that saying. <laughs> is, uh, no, number one, our first dust jacket is uh, Richo and Luke doing Neuromancer by William Gibson. And our second dust jacket is Crystal and myself doing my pick, which was American Gods by Neil Gaiman. Uh, but first off, we're going to start with Richo and Luke. With Neuromancer by William Gibson. I just want to preface this with a couple of things. First of all, this is actually one of the rare books that I'd read before we started all of this. It was one of the few on the on the on that top 200 list that I'd actually had. Not just read, but also studied in, uh, in at university of all places. Cool. Uh, as far as the the list goes, it actually it's moved up. It's actually number ten. Cool. On the top uh, one hundred sci fi lists book, um, and as far as uh, awards go, it's it's won everything. Basically, um, it is in fact the first book, uh, the first novel to have ever won what's called the Triple Crown of Science Fiction Awards: the Nebula, the Hugo, and the Philip K. Dick um, Award. Cool. Yeah. Um, it's also I, I, one of the books, it's actually the book really, that has actually shaped science fiction in my lifetime mm. more than any other, um, which we will actually get to in a moment. But um, So obviously there's, there is a lot of high praise for this book. Uh, it was published in 1984, as I said earlier, by William Gibson, um, and it is considered a one of, if not the, seminal work for uh, the cyberpunk um, subgenre of science fiction that uh, really uh, took off in the 80s and uh, hit its stride throughout the 80s and early 90s. I've, I've quite often heard that it's the you know, the beginning of that of the cyberpunk subgenre, but it's definitely not, is it? No, it's not. In <laughs> fact, um, Gibson, it was it's Gibson's first actual novel. He'd actually written several short stories mm. um, before this, dealing with with this you know the cyberpunk elements. Um, most notably. Um, uh, Johnny Mnemonic, which was written in 81, and uh, Burning Chrome, which was uh, from 82, in which actually coins the term cyberspace. Gotcha. Um, and, but it's, it's Neuromancer the, and the publication of Neuromancer that um, 
actually elevates that term into a common usage term to describe uh, yeah. the internet and uh, virtual reality and all the things. Pretty impressive. That. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there actually, there was a lot, um, there was a lot of, uh, not a lot, but there was cyber, cyberpunk stuff happening um, before Neuromancer was published, but Neuromancer is the one that popularizes cyberpunk. It's also the book that was actually, um, like, it, it's been elevated beyond science fiction. Um, you know, it's been ranked as one of the top 100 American novels of the 20th century, and uh, as in not just science fiction novels, but just novels in general. Um, and it, but interestingly enough, it actually wasn't a huge success when it was first published. Um, but it's sort of an underground word of mouth carried mm. it, and uh, and it sort of picked up picked up speed from there, and has now sold millions and millions of copies uh, around the world. Um, so there's the I guess the the praise and background for the book. But let's talk about the actual story itself, because it is easy sometimes to get lost in the hoopla around a book without actually looking at the, the, the actual novel itself. Knee deep in the hoopla. Knee deep in the <laughs> I hoopla. It. I knew so I was going to do it. Yeah. That's right. We should have done the all 80s episode. <laughs> um, so very briefly, Neuromancer is set in the world of the future um, and focuses on our main character, Henry Case, who is a... Um, He's like a low-level hustler, but also a former, what's known as a cowboy, which I guess we would describe now as a as a cyber criminal, a hacker. A, I mean, his idea, his 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 role was to basically go into cyberspace and break into things. Mm. He's a black hat. Fair enough. Yeah, that's what they are called. <laughs> Am I remembering incorrectly? But is it pronounced Casey? So, I, I, I always pronounce it Case, as in. Um, yeah. I thought he specified, but I could be thinking of another book. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It could be. It might also come up in later works because although he never wanted to write a sequel to this, he actually did about three years later. But anyway, yeah, um, I that other book. I'm thinking yeah. So when we first meet Case or or, or Casey, he's actually down on his like um, his um, interface neural interface, um, which to explain briefly is you plug yourself directly into computers uh, in in the cyberspace world um, through through your uh, well, basically through your brain. Mm. <laughs> but his has actually been supposedly irreversibly damaged because he basically tried to hustle former employees and that's what they did to him as punishment um, and it's kind of almost like an addiction for him Like he then goes and spends all of his money trying to have it repaired so that he can get back into cyberspace because it's like he's, he's incomplete without it anyway he is recruited um, by Molly Millions which is just an awesome name um, and an ex-military general uh, named Armitage, uh, who uh, they basically agreed to repair him and to actually get that connection back uh, into cyberspace if he will perform a job for them. We then what what proceeds then is a really a, a noir heist tale, but centered around this this uh, this world of the future and this idea of computers as as something that people can become a part of and. Um, and in amongst all of that is uh, cyber enhancements to people, um, uh, plastic surgery. You know, people people de-age themselves through either through legitimate or through illegitimate means. Mm. Um, and we see a lot of the the seedy underbelly of this dystopian future through Case and the people that he's with. Um, I won't go into a lot of detail about the actual details of that. There are certain revelations along the way that I don't want to spoil. But yeah, first and foremost, imagine it's 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 imagine kind of like a Blade Runner 
type of, of universe is what Kacen inhabits. Um, and yeah, well, he was actually a bit worried when Blade Runner came out because he thought, well, that's my vision for this novel on the screen. He was actually yeah. a, a little bit annoyed when Blade Runner came out. Yeah, suck that, Gibson. <laughs> so, first and foremost, first thing I will say about this book is, it, it just, despite being set in the future and everything, and despite its influence and everything, it is intrinsically an 80s book. That that sudden burst of technology that was happening in the 80s combined with the uh, the 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 huge levels of um, wealth that were being distributed around the time the the emphasis on on uh, the superficial mm. that was coming through in the 80s um, this book just takes all of that and and just encapsulates it in a world view but um, the thing that still makes it applicable is the sense of loss of humanity exactly. in the face of the onslaught of technology which we're actually sort of seeing um, in our social media culture these days you know the the humanity is being lost so what this was talking about and what started in the 80s is still being felt um quite keenly today just that we now talk in gig instead of ram and rom so yeah a couple of things just from a purely novel perspective forgetting all of this influence and everything that we're talking about um first thing i will say is this book is really interestingly written um i love the use of language Mm. It uses its own language and its own terminologies without actually, uh, without you know, leaving you confused as to what they're actually talking about. Yeah, you don't, um, you don't need a you don't need a, like a glossary of, of terminology to yeah, follow what's going on. Exactly, and yeah, I mean, you're throwing in terms like ice and flatlining and or you know, ram and rum and all these sorts of things that that. You know, and obviously cyberspace, and maybe it's just because you know you read it now, and cyberspace is the term that's used anyway a lot of the time. But I just found at no point was I was I lost as to what was going on here or what they were actually talking about. Mm. And that that's a real real skill because a lot of the time you're jumping between Case being in in the real world and being in the cyberspace world, and and the cyber what happens to him in the cyberspace world and what's happening to him in the real world. Um, but yeah, I, I never get lost on that point at all. Mm. Secondly, being a fan of noir, I love the the sort of crime, seedy underbelly side of the world that's created, um, and that, that it does hit a lot of the the noir the noir story tropes. Mm. Even 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 if it's you know in that in that Blade Runner kind of future noir kind of way, um, it, yeah, it, it really hits the mark on that regard. What you're going back to about the use of language? I mean, the the, the one the. The um the thing that pops out immediately in my mind is the first line of the book, which is you know the sky was the color of television, you know this all sort of faded crackling um, type sky. You know I, I agree with you, but it's not just about getting across terminology; it's about an almost Orwellian sense of discourse. And mm. I don't mean Orwellian in terms of dystopia; I mean in terms of uh, the use of language and prose to get across what you're saying. Mm. Um, the other couple of things: first of all, Molly is a fabulous um, character. Right from the outset, she's one of those few, few females who um, is sort of a bit who is vulnerable, but then at the same time exceedingly menacing as well. Mm. Um, and you know, you kind of you kind of wish that there were more characters like her, um, ones who weren't just sort of fit into a uh, into a stereotypical sort of mold of the person needing to be saved, but someone who was also capable in and of themselves and could probably carry a series of books. Mm. Um, mm. on their own yeah. um, I've always loved Molly um, in fact I, I like her more than Case um, Case is a good character and the damage that he is actually trying to 
get over not just the, the physical damage that has been done to him, but also the loss of the love, great love of his life, which then is carried out throughout the book. Mm-hmm. Um, I think is also intrinsically interesting, but he was just never as awe-inspiring, I thought, as Molly was. Um, having said that, what I really like about the book is um, Gibson's attempt not really to chart the Matrix the way that everyone who came after him does. He's not really interested in seeing what the landscape of cyberspace is so much as seeing how it is actually impacting on us. Mm. Um, he was inspired to in with, with Neuromancer and with the short stories he wrote previously, um, not by you know what was the burgeoning field of computer of um, computers, um, but by seeing kids playing pong in mm. uh, in, a, in a corner store and seeing the enrapturement the engagement that they were having and sort of seeing, well, this is where this is going to go. Um, and I think that, that what this book is a testament to. There's a moment where you actually meet um, the neuromancer of the title and he's created this, um, he's created this, this, spa- this virtual space trying to get Case to come into and to see his point of view of what's going on. Um, but instead of creating... Um, what would have been done? What we done these days, which is a, an elaborate virtual environment full of you know flashing lights and diodes and Tron algorithms, sort of stuff. yeah, the Tron mm-hmm. sort of thing. He actually attempts to create um, a seaside resort mm-hmm. or, or, or or a beachfront, um, something very human that Case can mm-hmm. um, can access. And so the whole idea there being that you know the things because the neuromancer is artificial intelligence, and I can say that without spoiling yep. things, yep. Yep. Um, is an artificial intelligence. Um, so attempting to meet us halfway and cr- cr- to create human um, experiences to get us towards the to get us the to meet to get us the rest of the way into the um, into the virtual world hmm. um, and so the impact of human the impact of technology on humanity and what that means for our humanity I think is yeah. one of the important things and I think what gets lost in the rest of cyberpunk as I said you know mapping the matrix but also overloading overloading on the detail forgetting that this is there's actually not a lot of detail uh, uh, quite often he actually holds back on you know explaining what's in the environment yeah, and goes yeah. more for what the characters are doing and more for what the uh, and what the characters are feeling um, and more f- uh, more for the action itself yeah agreed, um, agreed. There's, there's a lot more relevant to today's audiences as well that the that he creates the virtual world to be Realistic, yeah, yeah. as realistic as possible. Mm. That's yeah. that's how things are going. I mean, is uh, you know we don't we don't have the Tron sort of landscapes. Mm. I guess yeah. I mean the closest. The cl- I mean the most unreal. You've got the sort of the unre- unrealistic scale when you've got stuff like Minecraft. But then, mm. but the the more interactive ones like uh, Second Life and, mm. and stuff like that is the, yeah. what the trend is sort of going for. Especially yeah. now with VR coming, making a massive comeback. Mm. With, the, yeah. with the Oculus Rift? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah and that's, that's, that's sort of almost, I think he's, he's not quite warning against that because he's saying humans will no, do what they want. No, no, there is a, no, there is a warning. He's mm. definitely warning, but not in terms of, I don't think this is it, going it, to destroy it, it, humanity. It, it, yeah, that, that's it's right. just it's more not, of a, just please be aware of the impact that this is going to yeah, have. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's not don't use it. Yeah. It's when it, do, it does come in and you do use it, just be wary of it. Then. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. be aware um, of what's going yeah, on yeah. around. That's what I mean. Sorry, there's yeah. no doomsday um, yeah. scenario 
attached to all this. It's a sense of well, you are going to lose something, and then one of the one of the bits that I really no is, is it, are you going to lose something or are we going to gain something? Well, I mean, humanity is going to evolve, mm-hmm. and that's not necessarily a bad thing. But there's a moment where um, where things happen to Case, and yep. he actually walks away, and then he and he, he walks away from something that's gone wrong, mm. um, and you know he he discovers. You know this treasure. He's got something that he now actually treasures, and it's rage. Yeah. Um, and I really, I really respond to that because that's the moment we sit there going, okay, he's actually the the whole story is attempting to regain some humanity. So I think I think what Gibson is saying is that yeah, we will lose a little bit of what we perceive now to be important, and if we want to maintain that, then we're going to have to rediscover that. Yeah. At some point, so it's not a case of we're going to. Um, we're going to completely devolve into this scenario, but what we consider important is going to disappear. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Well, it's a couple of quick points. I mean, um, Molly, mm. um, who actually, I think, I think Molly's influence on popular culture is probably greater than cases. Yeah. Like you see, you know, um, I think Trinity in, uh, in the matrix. I mean, the matrix is, the matrix is clearly hugely influenced by Neuromancer anyway. Yeah. I think Um, Neuromancer, uh, I think the two closest analogies I think are are the matrix, which is obvious. Um, and ghost in the shell. Yeah. 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 So the matrix is essentially Neuromancer and ghost in the shell. (laughs) Yeah, basically, basically. And, and even ghost in the shell is influenced by Neuromancer as well. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 So the matrix is Um, the the, the distillation of of both of those sources. You'll be happy to know Molly does actually reappear. Because oh, cool. she actually, she's actually in, she's in Johnny Mnemonic. Is she? Yeah, yeah. Um, now I must. She's be... the one that eventually that sends him on the, his mission, right? In Johnny Mnemonic. Um, well, she yeah, she has because um, she's she's she uses different pseudonyms in, yeah. in several books. She's also in Mona Mona Lisa Overdrive. Apparently, no. I actually haven't read Mona Lisa Overdrive, I so um, I, I don't know what her role there is. I haven't but, read Johnny Mnemonic um, either, but I've seen the film. Holy crap! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, so she does actually. Yeah, so she uh, does actually. Does she jump in the sequel? Oh, that's Mona Lisa. That's uh, well, the, yeah. Mona Lisa Overdrive is actually the third book he does third, right. in 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 this series. So yeah, so she does actually make make reappearances under pseudonyms. So um, cool. Yeah, I wonder if people go through Gibson's work trying to figure out like if, if she's in other books and whether other characters might somehow match up with her or something like gotcha. that. Because that's a that's a real nerd sort of thing. Yeah, that yeah, might I, do. I wouldn't be shocked. Um, yeah. But interestingly, um, when I first read this book was uh, 94, 1994. When did it come out? It came out in 84. Oh, so yeah. Um, 10 years late. Yeah, basically. Same. But I read it I read it at um, as part of a, funnily enough, as part of a philosophy course at university. Right. Where we were studying um, really technology and, and the sort of things you were talking about. Technology, the impact it will have on humanity, um, and we looked at you know virtual reality and cryogenics and downloading of consciousness and uh, basically a lot of the stuff that's in Neuromancer. We we looked at that from a philosophical perspective and leading into questions about you know what is the mind and what makes up the mind and um, you know we looked at artificial intelligence and can you actually create an artificial mind per se if you don't even know what the mind actually is? Mm. Um, and so the, the this book and then this book just encapsulates all of those elements and um, created, uh, yeah, this rather interesting depiction of the of the future. And then some of that was kind of then lost. But as you say, now some of this, now all of this sort of stuff is making a huge comeback. Mm. Um, you know, and robotics is, is, has made a huge comeback over the last few years as well. And even the last 12 months, 
the advancements in, in, in robotics. The the quest for artificial intelligence has, has come back into the news again. Um, yeah, and as you say, virtual reality and, yeah, and really the, the cyberspace universe. Yeah, um, yeah so it's, it's amazing to think that this book this book had an impact on me in the 90s that then kind of faded a bit and now reading again now with everything that's happening right now in the world um it's it's just hit me again yeah um, it doesn't it doesn't just touch on on the technologies but it also touches on on the like like luke was saying the the loss the the loss of humanity the lessening of humanity especially in terms of online trolling yeah and yeah and just just the way people react interact with each other now online is for someone of my generation is is just is frightening yeah, this is, yeah. i mean I, was, I mean i was taught but i'm not a, i'm not a perfect human by any means but i mean i was taught to you know respect your elders and and uh, listen to your authority figures and treat women with respect and you know all that sort of sort of basic stuff that i sort of that's just in, inherent mm, yeah. and this this new generation this young generation that that are growing up with technology in their lives i mean this generation that have never known a world without the internet mm, yeah. um, and it's just yeah. the the way that this the the way they interact now is is you know almost not quite for me because I'm in the technology world but I can I can see how it'd be sort of affecting people it's sort of, sort of like an alien language it's a whole new language a whole new way of interacting mm-hmm. and this book predicts that mm. yeah. it's not just that it's also the whole idea that you know once once upon a time you know technology was in technology in everyday usage was a TV in the house, maybe yeah. a microwave. Yeah. Um, you know, you had C- a car C- sitting in the CD garage. players. CD players. <laughs> now, with things like iPhones, iPads, smartphones, um, yeah. Yeah. iPods, you've got your, your... You're not necessarily jacked in in the neuromancer sense, but you're connected in... And everything connects to everything and, and else. everything else connects to everything you kind else. Of, you, it's, it's kind of a, a metaphorical jacked-in mm. rather than yeah, literal that, jacked-in. But you're right. Yeah, I mean. you're right. We, the, this world that he's created does actually exist. Mm. Yeah. Not necessarily exactly the way that he envisioned it, mm. but we're, we're, we're basically there. We're almost there, and I think mm. the, the first big step to the whole concept of jacking in mm-hmm. are these new smartphone watches yep. yeah. that yeah. actually register the fact that they're touching your skin. Mm. That's... Phase one. Yep. <laughs> Eventually, they're going well, to go into your skin. Yeah. Well, I mean, if anybody that's seen uh, Citizen Four, uh, the William Snowden, uh, like Edward it? Snowden documentary, I thought it was very well done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's an interesting point made there that um, they can map out your entire life now just yeah. based on the technology that you're using. Mm. And so that that's that's as close to to actually just being a part of that universe as as I think you can get yeah. really at the moment. Um, but yeah, so. Um, that is Neuromancer, the a book that's yeah, like I said, it's it's the book I think that the most influential science fiction book of my lifetime, you know, because I wasn't around for the new wave stuff or for the the classic, you know, the, the classic era of science fiction, mm. um, but I was here for this, and I can see not not just how our world is reflective in many ways of Neuromancer, but how Neuromancer has actually influenced our world. There's in um, in the the introduction uh, sorry not the introduction the postscript that I've got um, uh, there's a writer called Jack Jack Womack mm, yep. Jack Womack um, actually goes so far as to suggest that um, the way that things like the internet has been shaped is be- because of what we see in Neuromancer now I don't necessarily know I'd go that far but I can see the argument that he's making that the development of that technology being inspired by this book means that we've gone in the direction that the book has 
has I posited. I don't know. With things like the dark net, um, I'd say that that's it. But that's spot. That's precisely what you're. Yeah, look, it's, it's, it's possible. It's it's a, it's a hard thing about. to. It's a hard thing to sort of quantify though, without knowing the people that developed all of this sort of stuff to go back and ask them. You know, did you read Neuromancer and, and go, "Yep, yeah, that's what we're going to do." You know, it's, it's hard to really to really say that that's exactly what happened. But I can't see the argument that Womack puts forward. Mm. Um, I'd be willing to say that all of them have read it. <laughs> you think that's? What, uh, but it's then, pretty but then, safe to say they've all read it. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, the things like the internet technology has existed well. You know, existed well before. Neuromancer, but the point Womack's making is is that the yeah. way that the internet has developed yeah. Yeah. is based on that, and um, subconsciously, if, if nothing else. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So um, it's it's really is hard to uh, to understate, uh, I think, the importance of this book um, on the modern world. Mm. So, but anyway, on that note, uh, rankings, Luke. Um, this book has been much imitated and never bettered. Um, you can't. Um, overstate its importance to genre, to the genre. Um, and I know that I've got someone looking at across the table there, sort of eyeballing me a bit. No, oh, no, that's fine. We'll get to that. Go on. Um, <laughs> it's your review. It's your review. Is that you You know, it, it, as, a, as a doctrine on the, the way that humanity is going in the wake of technological progress, um, it's fascinating. But as a, um, a, as a, just a good old, as a good old high story, I think it's, I think it's still a perfectly um, valid form of a valid form of entertainment. I give it four looks. This is against the norm of what we normally do um, with it with our dust jacket reviews. But Dave, you actually contributed a lot to this review, and I'd actually like to see what your ranking of the book is. Um, well, I know Crystal's itching to uh, say something, so let's we'll let uh, yep. uh, ladies first, and then yep. uh, I'll jump in after that. Oh, I read. The, I first read this book uh, probably in the middle nineties, and it didn't seem. I can see what you're saying, it's intrinsically 80s, but it still seemed relevant. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking if I read it now, it would probably, it still, it feels, you don't feel like you're reading a book from the past, if you no. get what I mean. Mm-hmm. Like a, a lot of the older science fiction, you can you can sort of tell it's from the past. And and I like how um, there's, you can you can actually see a move from the old style thinking like the technology is bad and the robots are going to take over to now it's becoming a part of us. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I think this this book is uh, is is often emulated and never bettered. And uh, <laughs> um, no, actually, it's, it's it's funny. It's funny. When I first read this book, I actually hated it. Like hated it. Like I can't describe how much I despise this book. Right. And sorry, when, when was that? Just for curiosity's sake. Oh, uh, I would have been early nineties. Cool. Yeah. And it's it's funny because I, I I read it again recently um, because you got bought us a copy and. And uh, I loved it. <laughs> and, now, and now I can't quite figure out why why I hated it so much. I, I've been trying. I've got a terrible memory. So I've been trying to think back. Why did you hate this book so much? I guess it's probably because it wasn't Sweet Valley High. I, I wasn't doing it. <laughs> because um, it was. You know, when you, you it was actually portraying sort of the, the darker side of computers back at a time when they were actually when people were actually getting everything really was all ex- bright and exciting well, yeah well when people yeah. were actually getting excited about the possibility of owning a computer and doing things yeah. in your I own don't know. i couldn't i can't tell you i really don't know i just i just thought it was funny um so yeah so it is i mean yeah as, as much as i was joking when i when yeah. i aped your your line i mean you're, you're right it is the influence of this book is I, I, I see this book in two different sort of sort of two different things i sorry i see it as the influence that it's had on our world mm. 
which is is unmistakable, mm. um, and just I and mean, in terms of just in the enjoyment factor and stuff. And yeah, it's just it's a it's a ripping yarn. Mm. You know, it's I mean it is it's it's well done yeah. by all accounts. Mm. So yeah, so it's good. Oh, do you want a rating? Yeah, give us a rating. Well, oh, yeah, I, I wouldn't go so far as I just think it's the, the brilliance that other people make it. I just but it is it is still quite enjoyable. So I go three point five. Alright, cool. Um, interesting enough, when, when I first read this, and I, I think it was because I read it for university, and that's never the best environment to be yeah. like. Well, you've got to study a book. When it's foisted upon you. When I first read it, I really liked it, but I think I was less enamoured with the story and more with the ideas in it because mm. of the, the course I was doing. Mm. You know, it was more about sense. the ideas behind that, and the and um, and you know some of my own ideas as a writer developed because of that course. Mm. Um, but I've actually gone back and I, I've read it a couple of times since then um and i get it's one of those books i get more out of it each time i read it and so reading it uh recently reading it for this review um yeah i'm astounded by just how good it is like it really really it, i i rank it up there with one of the best books that we've read um during this entire uh dust jacket experiment extravaganza <laughs> um and yeah i I'd, I'd, uh, I'd give this four and a half looks just a fantastic book Awesome. Now, Crystal and myself, American Gods by Neil Gaiman. Gods I'm now of gonna, America. I'm now going to proceed to read American Gods. Pure listening pleasure. Page In one. Neil Gaiman's voice? Page one. No, uh, I can't do accents. Page one. That's what I've discovered many times on this show. <laughs> <laughs> we kind of did a Terminator earlier. Shadow has done three years in prison. <laughs> that would be very tiring very quickly. All right, so, uh, American Gods. Um... I've wanted to do this, uh, as this was my pick, I've wanted to do this book for a while now. Um, it is my favourite Neil Gaiman book. Uh, it's, a, it's one of my favourite books ever, but it's also my favourite Neil Gaiman book. I mean, it's, I mean he is, he's applauded for good reason. He is, I mean, he is a very, very good writer. And, uh, you know, I mean, Coraline, Coraline is great. Neverwhere is great. You know, <laughs> Stardust is great. But this is brilliance. Um, it is. Uh, it, it does rank very high on a lot of people's lists, and for good reason. Uh, the basic story is: uh, you have the the protagonist Shadow uh, is released from prison early because he fi- he's informed that his wife has died in a car accident. Uh, he's in prison because uh, he beat up some dudes who wronged him and his wife. Uh, so he's 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 not a bad person. Um, he's he's just you know made some bad choices. Uh, so upon release, he's approached uh, and offered a, a job for, by a mysterious stranger called Mr. Wednesday. Uh, that job is, is basically just to be he, Wednesday's sort of right-hand man. He's his bodyguard slash errand boy, you know, what have you and stuff. Not to ask questions. And don't ask any questions. During the course of that, uh, sort of the, the travels around America, um, he meets some other sort of mysterious type personages. Um, and he sort of... He's not the brightest bulb, <laughs> young quite, Shadow. He's actually so he, quite intelligent. Yeah, but he's, he doesn't he doesn't cotton on to him until quite a substantial part of the book about exactly what it is that's going on. Um, but um, the uh, and, and it, it's revealed that the what Wednesday is doing is he's basically meeting up with all these people and trying to encourage them to join him in an endeavor. Um, and uh, he gets various responses: yes, no. Get the hell away from me! Is is a quite often quite often one of the ones. Um, during the course of that, you also learned that uh, Laura, uh, who is his wife, um, has come back from the dead um, and uh, is protecting Shadow, which is handy because he'd be in a lot of trouble without it. 
Um, and but and her greatest wish is to uh, be made alive again. And so Shadow uh, decides that he's going to whatever he can to do to make that happen. Um, now it's it's pretty hard to talk about this uh, without doing some sort of spoilers. So from this point on, I'm just warning and warning for spoiler alert from this point on. Well, the title kind of does give a little. Yeah, it bit does. Away. Yeah, so that's why I says it's, it's kind of hard. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so. It is, it is then eventually revealed that Mr. Wednesday is in fact Odin, um, or more importantly, an, an avatar of Odin. So the general idea of this book is that America is not a very good place for the gods. And what happens is when, uh, because uh, there's, there's no such thing as an actual American, America is a, is a land of migrants. And so when these migrants come across to America through the ages, they bring the idea of their god with them. And that's really all gods really are. Gods, uh, gods are an idea made made real um, and then they then survive on worship and so um, so they've brought across you know, a version of Odin so this is not he's not the Odin of the stories he's, he's the American version of Odin um, and they also and they brought up uh, by a bunch of other gods as well I mean it's, I mean America is, is a, called a melting pot for a reason and so you have gods from almost every uh, myth, mythos, mythological pantheon. Um, you also have uh, the culture heroes of, of America as well. So, uh, although it is pointed out that Paul Bunyan is in fact not real, which is, I thought was hilarious. But um, Johnny Johnny Appleseed, uh, you know, makes an appearance, and it's, it's quite a lot of uh, American Indian gods and stuff like that. And most importantly, the god of the land itself, the, uh, the buffalo, buffalo head, yeah, man. the buffalo head guy. Um, ooh, actually, finally, when he's talking to Laura, she sees him as a buffalo head woman. Oh. So. Um, so uh, the, yeah, so the, so the, the reason that, the, that uh, Wednesday is going around and speaking to all these people is because he's actually speaking to gods um, and other cultural heroes, and he's trying to encourage them to attack the American gods. Now, the American gods are, are new. They're the, they're the newest gods around, and, and they are uh, things like television and media. Um, technology. Gets, yeah, te- you know, technology and... Um, uh, the government, so like the black, like so they're, when they're talking about the black helicopters and all that sort of stuff, the shady sort of the the, the institution behind the FBI and the CIA is actually these guys, and, and uh, they're sort of like the agents of the gods. Um, and uh, Wednesday is is telling these telling these guys that these new gods are going to kill the old gods, um, and the old gods have if in order to survive now that since worship, I mean, no one actually worships Odin anymore. And so in order to survive, they have to take on like normal human jobs and stuff like that. So I mean, Wednesday becomes a con man and, um, robs banks, <laughs> robs banks in, in very, very cool ways. Um, and you know, sort of uses abilities that way. And, and various other gods do various other things. Um, Easter doesn't really have a job, but she does, um, she basically just survives because she's probably one of the most powerful because she actually still gets, Followed, um, even if people don't realize. People, yeah, people still celebrate Easter, but they, and so they therefore, in effect, worship her, but without really realizing why that is. Um, but uh, but uh, goddesses like uh, Biliquis um, has to basically force worship. And, yes. yeah, so it's 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 interesting. It's very it's it's fascinating the way it's done. As as a as a, a fan and follower of mythology, I took to this book like a duck to water. It's it's, <laughs> yeah. it's amazing stuff. Um, the it's then revealed. Actually, I won't reveal the grand plan at the end. I, no, that's too much of a spoiler, I think. But it's then revealed that Wednesday is actually not doing what he says he is, um, and he's 
he's actually he's effectively effectively trying to pull off the biggest con ever, and uh, it's up to Shadow and very importantly Laura <laughs> to stop him. Um, that's generally it for in terms of the plot. Um, like I said, I was drawn to this book because of the myth, uh, mythology elements. Um, it is. Uh, this is actually the first Neil, Ga- Neil Gaiman book that I ever read. Um, and... oh, it was my first Neil Gaiman too. Oh, there you go. Cool. Uh, and uh, I then, of course, went off and, and did the other sort of sort of stuff. Um, it's it's first. It's his first. I, oh, I do need to point out it's his first novel that I've ever read. I, I of course, was introduced to Neil Gaiman through Sandman, um, which you know, ninety nine percent of you know listeners would probably be, would probably be the same way. Um, is still not read it. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> You're the one percent. <laughs> no, we wouldn't even know. I mean, some some people might, you know, be reading the same man and not even realise that that's you know that's who he is and stuff. So, um, yeah, it's Neil Gaiman's an interesting author for me. He's uh, I don't think he's 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 not consistently good, but he when he is good, he is great. He's like the little girl with a little curl. When he's very very <laughs> when he's good, very, very good. When he's bad, he's horrid. <laughs> <laughs> I've never, I've never read any, anything of his that is is ter- horrid. <laughs> um, but uh, but you know there are some you know some are, are, are better than others, and uh, and this is is definitely that one. Um, what uh, what draws me to it is uh, it has it has a, a Stephen Kingish sort of element to it, where uh, Steve, one of Stephen King's sort of things was is that he tells the main plot, plot A. But then every now and again we'll sort of go off and tell a B or a C plot in sort of like little visionettes and stuff. And American Gods does that as well. So it's it actually uh, every couple of chapters will tell sort of like a mini story, which at first glance means nothing, <laughs> but then is eventually sort of involved it, it, in that adds in, to in the world, overall story. Well, yeah, adds to the world building. And the other Stephen Kingish sort of element to it he has is the uh, what I would consider to be the B plot of Lakeside. Um, so at one point. Odin or Wednesday has to hide Shadow um, because he keeps dreaming about Thunderbirds. Uh, Thunderbirds are what he's going to need to use to bring Laura back. Argo! <laughs> um, and uh, because Shadow is a very important person, without giving anything away, um, the other gods and personages can hear what he's dreaming. And so it starts to, it starts to piss Wednesday off because he's all, he's, he basically needs to sort of keep... Uh, shadow in sort of reserve as a surprise. Incognito. Incognito. So he sends him to Lakeside, and, and he knows uh, people. That he's going to be safe in Lakeside. Not only is he going to be safe, but he's also going to be undetectable by the outside world because Lakeside is under the protection of a supernatural being. That's all I'll say. That's, right? that's all you need. To that's say. all I need to say. Yeah. And that protection is is gathered in a very Stephen Kingish way. Apart from the. Re- Ridiculous temperatures. Lakeside sounds like a lick. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it does. Um, I also quite also quite like the uh, when they go to Cairo and stuff like that. But anyway, that's enough from me. Cairo. So, okay, you, uh, Crystal, Crystal, read it with me. So your thoughts? Um, well, because I'm not as steeped in mythology as you are, um, I still I still got most of the references. But I can see how someone steeped in mythology would just be reveling in this book because of if that's what it's steeped in as well. I, I found this book quite readable in that um it's just it just flows it's it's good good conversational style um i do think i it's it's funny i i think i should be a bigger neil Neil gaiman fan than what i actually am but i do find this sort of a he always has an underlying kind of melancholy 
Please, thing happening. Goth. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> Unless he used to be. Yeah, I, I, I just, I, I haven't dove full in. Yeah, I'm with you. And I'm not entirely sure why, because his books are all like stuff that I'm interested in, and and and, and especially I mean, the gods thing is, is Terry Pratchett has a similar thing in the Discworld. The gods are created because people believe in them, and it's interesting that. Um, and afterwards he tell, says that Terry Pratchett helped him with a few plot points. So I like that element of it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, a great, it's a great book. I, I just didn't love it as much as, as you did. Mm. And, and it could be it could be because I, I, my knowledge of mythology isn't as, as great. I mean, I knew, the, I knew the big people. I knew who Odin was straight away. And I could pretty much pick the others. Um, but... I didn't know all their backstories, which probably would have helped because Neil Gaiman obviously does, yeah. and, and he weaves that in very expertly. Yeah, yeah. yeah like I said, some uh, my favourite bits are, are the the lakeside thing and, and Cairo, and but yeah, I do, I do, I do touch uh, what you, what you touched on is like the way he weaves it together. Like it's yeah. it's it's there's quite a lot sort of different. Quite a lot of different elements that sort of mm. that all that are, are woven mm. together so, so well. There's a piece set in Manhattan which I quite enjoyed having been there because then I could now because the first time I read it I hadn't been there now that I've been there and I could I could recognise the the streets. But there's a piece set in there with um, two characters that never really reappear in the rest of the book, but it does help you understand what he's talking about, how the gods have come to America and um, how they're trying to make their way in the world. Mm. Yep. Cool. Um, so, uh, as much uh, I mean, I love it. I love it dearly. Um, it's, I I don't think it's perfect. Uh, you know, if anything ever is, but in term, mainly because of the main character himself, uh, Shadow. I just think he's. I mean, he's well named. Let's just say that he is. It's quite often, he just seems to be sort of without purpose. Like he doesn't. He's not. He doesn't instigate. Mm-hmm. He basically just sort of follows along, and does whatever has to happen at the time. But he doesn't. He doesn't instigate the story. It's like he's. He doesn't propel the story forward. It's, it's quite often propelled forward for him mm. uh, by outside events. And you know, I just that doesn't really sort of sort of work for me, especially considering who he is. I mean, it's never it never said outright who he is, but I mean, it's, it's very strongly hinted at. And and I sort of I just find it I just find it kind of weird. In fact, it's I think actually I think my favorite character is actually Laura. Um, is Laura does all of the work. <laughs> like you know, without Laura. Um, he would have been in a hell of a lot of trouble, um, and she does the probably the most important thing the right at the very work. end. She, she, she does the she dirty keeps, work. She keeps Shadow's hands clean. Yeah. Um, um, so it's I, I just you know it's in my in so and so yeah. I mean Shadow is essentially basically Shadow is my least favorite character out of this, which is weird because he's the main character. I disagree. Shadow's my favorite character, and um, I mean he's the person that carries this. Story, you you read the story through Shadow, and I don't, in a really passive aggressive way though. I, yeah, I don't mind that. I think okay, because cool. it speaks to parts of my own personality. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't mind that awesome. at all. But yeah, and I, and I like that um, people perceive him as a big oafish character, but he actually really isn't. And um, yeah. there's a few times where he surprises people with his his intellect. So right, yeah, cool. He kind of reminded me a little bit of Jack Reacher in that aspect. Yeah, I can see that. It's actually not the action man, Jack. I can see that. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I can definitely see that. So, like I said, not perfect, but pretty damn close. (laughs) I mean, this is this is the the Neil Gaiman book that I will go back to time and time again. I mean, this is I've read this 
who knows I didn't even have to read it again but I did just because I'm obsessed <laughs> um, so it's yeah I, are we allowed to do fractions I'll do 4.75 looks okay <laughs> oh, that's a bit of cop out but no worries <laughs> we've done that before yeah um, there's precedent um, I'll, I'll give it four looks so normally I base my ratings purely on enjoyment but I can't help but also include the quality of the writing in there as well but, you know, it's a whole package there, so I give it four looks. Oh, high, a high rating! I'm very proud. Nice. Yes. I'm pleased. <laughs> cool. Uh, so that our next books uh, for in you know, four episodes times are uh, my next choice from the sci-fi list list is uh, Eon by Greg Bear. And I will do that. So it'll be me and Richo doing Eon, Eon. by Greg Bear. Yep. Awesome, and uh, the the crew pick is Luke. Yep, and given um, our discussion of the Hugos and the fallout from the Hugos a couple of episodes back, um, I've decided to look at this year's Hugo winner, which is a th- which is the Three Body Problem by Xi Jin Lu. I'm happy with that because it sounds very Sherlock Sherlockian. <laughs> yeah, it sounds very interesting. Yeah, yeah. but I'll be hated out for you, man. <laughs> I love that that rendezvous with Rama type business. Yeah, <laughs> for it. Continue on with our top five fictional weapons. The, the, only, the only real condition I had for this was that it was uh, it couldn't be... Well, one, it has to be fictional, so you can't say the M16 or something. Uh, but as, Although the pulse rifle was pretty close, let's be honest. Uh, but, so you can't uh, choose um, Harry Callahan's Magnum. Yeah, well, that, yeah. that was actually that was one of my first choices, and I yeah. went, oh, hang on, no, it's going to be a real gun. It's a real gun. But also because it, it's also it can't be... It has to be... Uh, Actually, I had more conditions with that than I'm even talking about. It had to be a weapon, so it couldn't be the power loader from Aliens, because it's designed for... Yeah, no, no armour was yeah. one of your uh, things. And no armour, so Iron Man's armour is out, uh, and also no vehicle, so you couldn't have a speeder bike, even kit. though it has a weapon on it, or kit, kit or yeah. anything like that. Cool, so there are all the conditions. Uh, hopefully it didn't make it too hard for you. Well, it, it, it did leave me with one I wasn't quite sure about whether right, I would well, be allowed we'll to include Start off with you, start off with you. All right, um... Well, okay, the one I wasn't quite sure whether I was allowed to include or not was actually the Death Star. Now, it is Class built... as a vehicle. But, but it is built as a weapon. It is built to destroy planets. True. Still a vehicle. So that's that, that's why I wasn't quite sure. Because no. if it was, I would have put it at number one, because I just love the Death Star. A million it voices. It blows stuff up. <laughs> it blows stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so I wasn't quite sure whether I would no. be allowed to include that so or don't not. include so, that. So, all right, hang on. Let me, with... let me actually delete it from the list thing. <laughs> list without that. The sneaky way you got it in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. So, then, my top five. <laughs> Good. Um, oh, there, there, there is... Sorry, my number five is, once again, It's it kind of doesn't necessarily meet the, the categories you're talking about. <laughs> so you basically cheated. Well, no, 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 because it's the way in which it's used, I think, oh, that, okay, that right, ele- okay. uh, elevates it. And that is Ash's Chainsaw. Yes, a chainsaw is just an ordinary everyday device, but he cuts his own hand off and straps it onto his hand and makes a weapon of it. Yeah, I'm willing to let that one so, slide. Yeah, and it is so intrinsically okay. connected right. with him as a character, like the oh. chainsaw hand. I've already let that slide. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I'm just, just continuing. Oh, right, right. okay, well, sorry. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I thought you were going to argue it, your argument for why it should be included. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, cool. And, and when he straps it on, is accompanied by one of the coolest lines in cinema. Exactly right, right. exactly right. Gotcha. Um, and I must admit, that, that's a big part of, in my choosing these weapons, it was a weapon that is intrinsically list, linked to a character. Oh, right. Was, okay. was one mine of the was just because, really... Mine were there just because I think they're awesome. Yeah, no, fair and enough. And would like to fair have enough. them. 
Okay. Um, <laughs> so that's my number afraid. five. Um, my number four is Odd Jobs Bowler Hat. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> At least someone was going to pick that. Who throws a shoe? Honestly. <laughs> well, first of all, it's it it, it it's a very, actually I think a really important weapon in the history of uh, Bond because it's the first ludicrous um, <laughs> you know um, bad guy enforcer weapon that we get. So true. But it's also awesome, and it's so such a Bond thing. It's like you know it's so. British to have the bowler hat with the razor yeah. blade on it used as a weapon, and and of course then you see that that then um, you know adapted for the Avengers yeah. with Steed and his bowler hat as well. So yeah, so Odd Jobs bowler hat just fair. Oh, so the Bond one comes before the Avengers. I thought they ripped it off from the Avengers. No, it comes before, doesn't it? Yeah, the Avengers. All the Avengers stuff comes much after Bond anyway. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it wouldn't be that much later though. No, 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 it's be, not. Be, be, it's be not. about a year or two. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Go. Um, okay. My number three, uh, and we're now getting into the category of weapons. I wish I had. Yeah. Uh, my, <laughs> my number three Repeat, weapon is uh, Captain America's shield. Cool. Captain America is awesome, but when you put that shield on him, that just that it's the perfect superhero weapon design. Technically, armor. No, that's no, not okay. weapon. No, because yeah, okay. he throws it. Yeah, yeah. You know? And it's certainly fictional because it's made out of an indestructible metal. So You are correct. It is technically armour, but not the armour that I was that I meant. I, I, I meant like suits of armour. I mean, it, it, yeah. And, and really, it's at its coolest when he uses it as <laughs> yeah. a projectile and as like a bounce, bounces it off a hundred walls and still manages <laughs> to hit the target. Um, and seeing when a soldier where he takes out the gen, it's just, it's just brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> I love that movie. <laughs> um, okay, my number two weapon. Um, is Green Lantern's power ring? Yes, yeah. Every little boy wants yeah, a power I, I, ring. <laughs> I, I agree. I agree. It's awesome. Yep. I, I see my own mentions. <laughs> <laughs> so you accept it as a weapon? Oh, of course. It is clearly yeah. a weapon. It's the best, the greatest weapon in the galaxy. Yeah. There, were, there was actually amongst uh, like comic book stuff. There yeah. was one that I didn't include because I wasn't sure whether it technically counts. The Invisible Jet? No, no, no. Um, no, because that's a clearly the Lasso of Truth. No. Um, the Infinity Gauntlet. Yeah, see that. That's like, I had the exact yeah, same. Is thought. it really like, a weapon? Or... Technically, not a weapon, is it? Yeah, really? yeah, yeah. So it's a means to an end, anyway. Yeah, it does give him the power to <laughs> click his fingers and wipe out half the population of the universe. But he still loses. So. But yeah, no, Green <laughs> yeah. Lantern's ring. Yeah, um, I've, I've always said, you know, I love Green Lantern. It's 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 possibly my favorite part of the entire DC universe, along with you know, the original Earth 2 stuff. And let's face facts, as a kid, who wouldn't want a magic ring that would enable you to do whatever you liked, create anything for your your imagination? Just awesome. Um, But my number one, and it is a pretty obvious one, um, has to go to Excalibur. Oh, nice. The entire mythology that is built around that sword, what it represents. um, Some watery tart. (laughs) The line I used earlier, you can't expect to wield supreme executive power just because some watery tart threw a sword at you. But um, yeah, Excalibur, the whole story of King Arthur has always been a personal favourite of mine from when I was a little kid. And Excalibur, yeah, it's just such a brilliant weapon and so reflective of the character and of the story that it's a part of. So there you go, there's my top five. Crystal. It's interesting you said you couldn't use the Infinity Gauntlet because... <laughs> Have you got it? No. It's on the cusp. Yeah, yeah. My number five is the Time Gauntlet from Red Dwarf. 
Ah, uh, the Inquisitors. Yeah, that's a weapon. Yeah, yeah he uses yeah, he uses it to do the evolve. Yeah, that's a weapon. So yeah. the time gauntlet is a time manipulating weapon used by the self repairing simulant known as the Inquisitor. Nice. Um, he travels through time and space, much like our friend the Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> um, judging each sentient light form, erasing those who wasted their lives and replacing them with those who never had a chance. The unfertilized ovum and sperm that never made it. <laughs> <laughs> I quite I like that storyline also because it reminds me of the alien in um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy that has to insult everybody. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, the time call is um, on my list because of the, the way that it's used. Uh, I, I, no, I, even though this, even though the show's really old, I won't give a spoiler. But, but because of the way it's used against the Inquisitor to to win the day. Um, Number four on my list is the Doomsday Machine from Star Trek, the original series, also known as the Planet Killer, or the Planet Eater. Nice. It's, it's, it's like a massive conical-shaped maw that flies through space and, and devours planets. And I uh, basically just picked it because I like the look of it. It does look awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Number three on my list is Poison Lipstick. Now, this has been used throughout cinema history in various different ways, but... Um, the poison lipstick um, it's it's one of River Song's most favoured weapons and I've always wondered how it works because the poison doesn't affect the person wearing it, only the person who you kiss but I love, uh, there's an episode of Get Smart where Max manages to foil the poison lipstick by wearing plastic lips (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant Is that that where they get um, the response? Is that where they they, they steal that then for Batman and Robin where Robin overcomes poison ivy for that reason. He he's wearing rubber lips. Yeah, I'd say possibly so. Possibly yeah, could possibly. be. Yeah, possibly Dear could be. God, I care Goldsman's. <laughs> to answer your question, it's either they either have a natural immunity to it, um, well, as in like poison ivy or viper, uh, viper, or they wear a coating underneath, hmm. or they build up an immunity to it. Yeah. They never mentioned in River yeah. Song's case. No. Yeah. I, she's I, I just, she's just that good. Part time Yeah. She's just that good. Like River Song. <laughs> River Song kicks butt. Yeah. She's kick butt. She's coming back too. <laughs> Oh, well, there you go. There's a companion I could have mentioned. Is she a companion, really? Or no, well, she's no. the ultimate companion, really, if you think about it. The I, I always companion. saw her more as a um, recurring character, as an actual companion. Yeah. I always saw her as an annoying character. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I but... like her. Anyway, back to back to the weapons. Yeah. Um, number two on my list is, and you know, nobody's going to be surprised to hear this, is the Space Modulator. Or <laughs> 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 well, to get its full title, title the Illudium Q36 Explosive Space Modulator. <laughs> and it's just, that's exactly, it's my fa- all-time favourite Looney Tunes episode. And it was the first, actually the first weapon I thought of when given this task. Awesome. He can't go past the Space Modulator. There's <laughs> just so many iconic lines from that yeah. one episode. Um, but the top of my list is because, again, this is a weapon I would like to have. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> the very top of my list is the point of view gun from the <laughs> Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy movie. I knew yeah. you were going to mention that. <laughs> I knew that was going to be And it's list. just, I mean, how many times have you been in an argument when you just really wanted to just swap the person over the head and just get them to see something from your point of view? Uh, yeah. It's just, it's just... The movie itself wasn't that great, although I really enjoyed it. Um, but you know, the point of view gun was just brilliant. The point of view gun is awesome. But it's I a think, bit unwieldy, but I it's think brilliant. it's actually the best part of the film. Yeah. That and uh, Alan Rickman mm. as Mar. Yeah. 
As long as you don't use it on me, I'm all good. <laughs> I don't need to. You know my point of view. All right. Uh, <laughs> um, I'll just I'll, I'll quickly do my honourable mention. Um, honourable mentions. One was Green Lantern's Ring, uh, and uh, also the the Zorg ZF One, uh, which is the weapon in uh, the Fifth Element. Uh, it really is basically just a joke on weapons. It's it's, it's a gun that does everything. It's you know. It's, the Swiss Army homing. knife of yes, guns. It's a Swiss Army knife of guns, exactly. And it really is just a piss take on ridiculous, you know, weaponry and stuff in films and stuff like that. So, which is why I quite, I, I quite like it. Uh, plus, the aliens' reactions to it, so <laughs> they get really excited. Uh, so, my top five, starting with the holy hand grenade of Antioch. <laughs> um, who knows what it does? You never had to. Who actually knows? But because just the the, se- the the name and the sequence involving that is just absolutely genius. So, yeah. Um, who knows? It probably doesn't do any, it doesn't even do anything. <laughs> but no, no, no. They awesome. do launch it. Yeah, they do launch it, and it does blow up. It's just an explosion. Kill the <laughs> <laughs> That's it. It's enough to take out the rabbit. That's right. <laughs> That's what we need to know. Uh, number four. Now it's um, this is this is on the cusp. Uh, is the proton packs from Ghostbusters? Now they are. No, they're, they're weapons. They're, they are technically weapons because they use it. They're, they're capturing ghosts and stuff. Also, they use it to defeat Zool. Yeah, crossing the, the streams. streams. <laughs> um, they're awesome. I mean, just the the ridiculous sort of hand handmade element of them, um, and the brilliant beams that come out of them, and the noises and the crossing of the streams, and you know, they're just awesome, awesome stuff. And there's so many varied uses: capture ghosts, kill ghosts, kill giant gods. Hey, can't go wrong. <laughs> uh, number three, I've got the sonic screwdriver. Um, again, technically a tool. <laughs> It's certainly yeah, a weapon these but still, days. But still, but these days, these days that's exactly it. Yeah. I used to would say it. Yeah, look, I, I, I it's essentially a weapon. It. Yeah, I, I contemplated it, but because I've been watching the classic Doctor Who, where it's actually not a weapon, I decided not to. Use that's it. why I love that scene so much. It was like when Matt Smith pulls out, he's out, and then you know, David Tennant pulls his out and like extends it up, and I'm like, this is just a smack in the face. <laughs> just, you, know, you know, it's just it's as clear as mud. Uh, and then yeah, and then of course with John Hurt, it's like. What's all this pointing? <laughs> what are you going to do? You build a cabinet at them? Yeah, brilliant. Um, the and plus because of all the things that it can do, it's crazy. Uh, although I think I think it's overused now. In the, in it, the is it is used it quite is. a lot. I mean, it can basically do anything. Yeah, it's become the ex machina of the show, unfortunately. Uh, number two, I've got the Sword of Omens. Sword of Omens, give me sight beyond sight. It's the uh, sword used uh, in Thundercats. Uh, the sword itself is actually not magical, but it has a, a gem inside it. Um, that uh, the gem on it on its hilt that gives it all its abilities, and uh, it's awesome. There's nothing this sword can't do. It, it's it's you know it it ranges from uh, shrinking and extending, so it starts off as a dagger and then grows into a, a broadsword. Uh, it deflects Mumra's laser beams all the bloody time. I don't know why he bothers bothers shooting them. Um, <laughs> it's you know it cuts through anything. It is basically the Excalibur of of uh, the Thundercats universe. Although they do actually have an episode where they go where Mumra tries to go find Excalibur so they can end up, end up fighting cool. the sort of moments. Um, but it, at its at its most powerful is that it uh, it manages to a planet is destroyed and. The sort of omens in the centre of it is an, is enough to keep it stable and then recreate it. Brits, <laughs> <laughs> the sort of omen everybody should have it. Sight beyond sight, except the bad guys. Yeah, it's got they guys. probably shouldn't have it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they um, break it at one point. They do, but then it reforms. <laughs> so that's fine because like it's, it's the gem that gives us the yeah. ability this so. sword could do anything this sword can do it, it did whatever it needed to be done in that episode <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, and uh, number one not as powerful as the sword of omens but just the ultimate in awesomeness is the lightsabers um, is 
They're just brilliant. <laughs> so everything about them is brilliant. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, I could I could take over the world with a sword of omens, but a lightsaber. I'd have the, the the adulation of million of nerds. I'd just be standing there going, yeah. <laughs> just to hear the noise all the time. And do, do you like all the variations, like the the double lightsaber that Darth I like, Maul I like, has? I like and... Darth Maul's double lightsaber. I think it gets ridiculous when you get eventually get to Ventress when she makes nunchuckers out of them. Yeah, and I was like, come on. <laughs> but um, I, you know, what about, and, um, yeah, I'm general. Not a... General Grievous with all the, the lightsabers he's spinning around on all these arms. Yeah, they're all just single lightsabers that he's just got multiple arms, though. But so, that is cool, the fact yeah. that he's used them all. At I, 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 you know, I like the, the, the curved hilt of Dooku just because it has a sort of a classic, like sort of, a, yeah. sort of an old it, school look to it. It, it, would be, um, it would be ludicrous if it wasn't for the fact that it was held by Christopher Lee. That's and it. Therefore, that just makes it awesome. So in terms of practicality, though, I mean, I'm not a big fan of this hilt thing, but, you know, we'll see what happens yeah. with, it, with, the, with The Force Awakens. But, uh, yeah, but just, I mean, just the classic... Yep. Classic lightsaber. And yep. I'd go green. Mm. I would go green. You like green? I'd, I prefer the green. Yeah, fair enough. And I'd have two, so I could do like a Shoka does. One <laughs> 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 forward, one back. Go sick. Anyway, that's by five. Look. Um, okay, well, I, th- after hearing everyone's, I now have an honourable mention, which is Judge Dredd's Lawgiver. Cool. It was originally on my top five, but I've now bumped it down to, you know, honourable mention status. Wow. Um, just because, you know, like the Zorg... Um, it can pretty much do anything just with the um, the voice activation. Yeah. My top, my number five now, however, is the Acme disintegration pistol. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When it yeah. disintegrates, it disintegrates. <laughs> Classic. Um, my number four is is uh, monkey's wishing staff. Yeah. Nice. Um, first of all, it takes an incredible amount of skill, but it could actually do a, a number of things, like you know, go really big and take down some of the giant monsters that um, monkey's got to face, and also just. Cool looking weapon. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my number three is um, He-Man's. To counter your sort of omens, I slap down He-Man's power, a sort of power, um, which doesn't break and <laughs> can do almost all the stuff that you're talking about. Nah, nah. But the would power shatter. It is ugly. Yeah, and sort of omens looks awesome. It looks but awesome. But it transforms you into a big beefy. Well, actually, it's kind of already beefy. But it transforms you into an <laughs> yeah, even he's actually already beefy. <laughs> Um, yeah, but he was wearing pink before he transformed, so I think that... And then he transformed to wearing not much at all. Mm. Yeah, but in that cool Conan kind of way. Um, in that yeah. erotic way. So, yep, no, number three is sort, <laughs> of, I, uh, I sort of power. Of course. Uh, number two, I actually speci- specified my lightsaber with Luke's lightsaber at, in Return of the Jedi. Yeah, so the green uh, one. The green one. Yeah. Um, partly because that actually does symbolise, um, you know, his eventual um, rise in status Jedi and just how... But the, on the lightsabers themselves, as opposed to say a lot of a sort of power or sort of omens, which you know you could sort of pick up and let the power of the weapon itself do some of the work for you. You've got to be yeah. incredibly trained um, and incredibly skilled to wield the lightsaber. Yeah. Um, so that you know, it, there's a lot of skill actually involved in what the Jedi have to do. I mean, that's why you get a double. That's why you get Darth Maul with his double-edged lightsaber. He's incredibly yeah. skilled. Did you watch? Have you been watching Rebels? No, not yet. Uh. There's the other lightsaber they got in there is the Inquisitor. Yeah, the Inquisitor's lightsaber, the, yeah. The spinning business, which is pretty pretty um, <laughs> And my number one is um, Green Lantern's powering. Cool. Um, yeah, it, it's actually probably the most powerful weapon in, in the in in the universe this side of the Infinity Gauntlet. So, yeah. Awesome. Very cool. I'd have all of those weapons. Every single one of them. Simultaneously. Simultaneously. General Grievous style. <laughs> so let's finish up with Coming Soon. In cinemas October 1st, we get Macbeth, 
which is uh, Michael Fassbender yep. version. Looking forward to that. Well, that actually might be worth watching then. Well, it's got to be better than the friggin' Sam Worthington. Is there a Sam Worthington Macbeth? Yeah. Oh, he does the urban Macbeth thing. Yeah, yeah the Australian yeah. one. Yeah, that was actually not bad, strangely enough. <laughs> actually, Sam might... Worthington. <laughs> no, Sam Worthington, right? I'm not saying he was good, because he's always crap. But I was saying, it was, you know, the actual production was actually quite good. But, uh, Hopefully this one's as good as Throne as Throne of Blood, the most awesome version, like Samurai Macbeth. Just brilliant. Cool. It's like Akira Kurosawa. Yeah, all right, Yeah, just, just awesome. Uh, the Intern, which is Blame Anne Hathaway away. and somebody else. I don't know. I don't know anything about it. It's got, Anne, Hath- <laughs> what, it's got Anne Hathaway in it. That's all I needed to the know. The Devil Wears Prada 2? Or- <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea. Um, and, you know, very exciting for Young Crystal, The Martian. Oh, cool. yes. Cool. That's going to be a cinema event. Is it now? <laughs> yes, I've decided. <laughs> I have decreed it. So. Skull class. <laughs> Maybe even, yeah. Cool. If, it's a, if it's half as good as the book, I'd be happy. Awesome. Cool. So that's it for episode 162 of NCP. Thank you for joining us. It's been a pleasure as always. Thank you for accepting me back into your arms after Richo's triumphant Doctor Who episode. That was awesome. <laughs> Much appreciated. Stay tuned for future episodes. That's it from me and the crew, Richard. I still think this star. Uh, because it blows stuff up! That's fair. Should count. <laughs> Does it, appearances are nothing. The sort of power is far more worthy. Hey, Crystal! Where's the kaboom? <laughs> Bye. Bye! You've been listening to NCP. Thank you for being a part of our crew. If you would like to support the show, you can use the Amazon widget on our website to do your Amazon shopping. If you have any feedback, please go to nerdculturepodcast.com forward slash contact us where you will find a list of the many different ways you can interact with us. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode.